Welcome to the Two Journeys Bible Study Podcast. This podcast is just one of the many resources available to you for free from Two Journeys Ministry. If you're interested in learning more, just head over to twojourneys.org. Now on to today's episode. This is episode 7 in our Acts Bible Study Podcast. This episode is entitled, Peter and John Heal a Famous Beggar where we'll discuss Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses that we're looking at today? So we're going to see the effect of Jesus having transferred his supernatural, uh, wonder-working power to his apostles in the early stage of the church, their healing ministry established here in the book of Acts. And so uh, the the healing, physical healings that Jesus did in uh, amazing numbers, and, and the apostles didn't even come close to Jesus on that. He, he healed huge populations of people. Uh, but the fact is that he had committed to them some of that same wonder-working power, and it became a a strategy by which huge crowds would be attracted to a proclamation of the gospel, which we'll get to, God willing, next time. But we're going to see uh, the wonder-working power of Jesus at work in Peter and John. Well, let me go ahead and read Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, as we begin our time together. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Andy, as we begin, how does this account relate to Acts 2.43, and what were the circumstances of this great healing? Okay, so the very last verse of chapter 2, the last statement, it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And so this is the time of explosive growth of the church. Mm -hmm. 3,000 people added to the church in one day, the day of Pentecost. And more were going to come after that. And we're going to find out uh, throughout the book of Acts how significant signs and wonders, especially healings, would be Hmm. uh, in showing the authority of the apostles and the truthfulness of the message they preached. Uh, Also, the author of Hebrews says that that the apostles preached and used signs and wonders. Paul also says also that his ministry was characterized by these signs and wonders. Predominantly in Jesus' life, they were healings. I would say 90% plus of the miracles and the signs and wonders were healings. And so uh, this is just a display, uh, an anecdote, a story of one particular person who was healed and then the effect uh, that it had on Peter and John's ability to preach the gospel. So it fits together. The end of Acts chapter 2 shows a a five verse or so vignette or description of what life was like in the early church. Mm. And part of that was an evangelistic explosion. And this is a story concerning that. 
Now, what does verse 1 teach us about Peter and John's daily life? Okay, so they're still going to the temple to pray, and that's where the Christians were meeting in a place we would find out later called Solomon's Colonnade, where they would meet together to pray. So they needed some place to come together. Also, it teaches us that they were still following essentially the same patterns of their Jewish life. They're mm. still going to the temple, but mm -hmm. we know that the the end of animal sacrifice has has already been achieved by the death of Christ. The curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The time of temple worship and of animal sacrifice should have ended at that point if all of the Jews had believed in Jesus as the Messiah and understood the significance of the curtain in the temple being torn in two from top to bottom. They would have ceased attending the temple. There would have been no need to go to the temple anymore. As Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, on, neither on the this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. There would not be one Christian place where Christian pilgrims would go from all over the world to worship. However, the early church still followed the Jewish pattern of going to the temple to pray, and Peter and John did the same. Why is it noteworthy that the beggar was crippled from birth, and why is it significant that he was placed there at the gate every day to beg from people going into the temple courts. Yeah, I don't really know for certain why it's significant that he was crippled from birth. We do know from, from John chapter 9 that um, with a man born blind, there were some questions, theological questions about sin. Generally, mm. the Jews, uh, like with the book of Job, saw that if some really bad thing happened in your life, it must be probably because of some sin in your life. You're getting justly punished by the righteous God, and the mm. best thing you can do is repent of the sin, come out with it, and God will heal you and restore you. Mm. Um, the problem comes when a baby is born blind. Um, as in John chapter 9, or this baby is born crippled from birth. Maybe he has some kind of a birth defect and he's unable to walk. Who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said in John 9, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened that God's glory might be revealed in him. Maybe a similar thing with this man crippled from birth. How about the place? What's significant about him being here begging from these people as they came into the temple courts? Right. So the title of this uh, podcast is uh, that Peter and John healed a famous beggar. The idea is everybody knew this guy. Hmm. And you know, you're going to have to walk by him to get into the temple. So it's you know a feeling of, okay, here we go again. Um, and mm. got to deal with him. And he sat every day. But you know, the Jews were would be generous uh, and give giving to the poor, alms or money given to the poor. And so they, they had to walk by him. Uh, regularly. So he would be uh, strategic. And when he's healed, everyone would recognize him as the same beggar who used to sit begging. And and in that way, he was famous. Now, it's interesting. I was involved in a campus ministry, uh, uh, evangelical campus ministry when I was a student at MIT. And one of the things I noted and, and came to reflect on a little differently later as I went on in my Christian life was the desire that the campus ministry had to convert some of the movers and shakers on the campus, like the quarterback on the football team, you know, or the <laughs> point guard on the basketball team yeah. uh, because they could they could have real influence. Well, look at the famous person that gets uh, gets healed here. He's, he's a beggar. He has nothing to offer. Right. And so it's funny how God chooses the not many wise, influential, or noble birth. Uh, he chooses a broken down man who gets healed. Now, Peter and John would have been amongst that throng of people who would have 
probably recognized this man sure. as they entered the temple. Mm-hmm. How do John and Peter respond to the beggar's request? And why do you think Luke makes so much of the eye contact and personal mm-hmm. attention between the beggar and the apostles here? Yeah, so they're going uh, into the temple for prayer. They go past the temple gate called Beautiful. I don't know why it was called that. It's interesting. must have been unusually decorated maybe with precious stones mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't really know, but it was a particularly beautiful part of the temple. And so this beggar was put there every day. So that's like the number one gate you want to go through would be the the one called Beautiful, I would think. And <laughs> But you got to deal with this beggar. And so they knew him. Everybody knew him. And they're walking by. And just the same old thing is happening. He's asking for money like he did every day. I mean, give us this day our daily bread in the Lord's Prayer. Every single day you have certain needs. And so the beggar needed money as he did every day. And so Peter and John are about to enter. He sees Peter and John about to enter. And he asked them for money like he always did. Um, you know, he probably had some pattern, alms for the poor, alms for the poor beggar, crippled from birth, something like this. Mm. And um, so the, he's, but he, he did that to everybody who came in. It wasn't anything particularly special about Peter and John. But then Peter interacts with him and looks at him, looks right at him. And mm-hmm. it's interesting, later Paul is going to see an individual, a cripple in, in uh, Asia Minor, when he's ministering, he saw that he had faith to be healed. Now, it doesn't say any such thing here, but there is that sense of of making eye contact, as you said. And I think it, it also reminds me of the parable of the Good Samaritan, where there's a man that's mm. that's left bleeding by the side of the road, and the priest sees him and goes by on the other side, and the Levite sees him and goes by on the other side. Um, but the Good Samaritan comes and cares for him. So Peter and John look at this individual and they want to help him. So that eye contact makes every, it means everything. And then Peter wants that man to look at him. He's looking at the whole crowd. He's looking at anybody that might, you know, might have an interest hmm. in giving money. Uh, you could see that sometimes. And we see that with beggars where they want to make eye contact with you. And if they can make eye contact with you, maybe they can draw you into their misery and their situation. You'll give money. Uh, and so, uh, but at this point, the beggar's looking away. And so Peter commands him, look at us. And so the man turns and looks, but he's expecting money. Right. That's what he wants. And so that's how the whole thing begins. Yeah. So he has very different expectations, mm-hmm. even than what's about to happen. Though yeah. I think we would agree that what is about to happen to him is amazing, beyond yeah. probably what he would have ever imagined Absolutely. when being carried to that gate that day mm-hmm. to sit and ask for help. Yeah. What should we make of the fact that Peter was the one who spoke? And what's the significance of Peter's statement when he says, I have no silver and gold? No doubt this beggar, after turning his attention to Peter, would have been maybe initially disappointed when Mm -hmm. Peter expresses that he has no silver or gold. Yeah, I mean, that's all this man wants is money. And sometimes that's how it is. It is with all kind of natural people all over the world. It's, um, you know, like the book of Ecclesiastes says, money is the answer for everything. Hmm. But it really isn't money. Money is not the answer for everything. For example, money can't buy this cripple the ability to walk. And and really, if he had a pocket full of money and was crippled and could trade his pocket full of money for the ability to walk, would he do it? Of course oh, he would. I mean, a yeah. heartbeat, absolutely. And so what he has to give is far more valuable than money. But what's significant, first of all, you asked, why is it significant that Peter spoke? And mm-hmm. I think we're going to see in the early part of the book of Acts, Peter is the leader. Um, later, others are going to step up and be leaders. Even in Jerusalem, James was seen to be the central leader of the church in Jerusalem. And then, of course, Paul is the central leader in the rest of the book of Acts, from mm-hmm. Acts especially Acts 13 on, he's uh, he's the leader. But at this point, definitely it's Peter, um, and Peter's the one that's uh, speaking. And what's the significance of the fact that he says, silver or gold 
have I none, or I have no silver or gold. Well, uh, what it means is that Jesus didn't make these people wealthy. He didn't Mm -hmm. make them rich. Uh, They weren't financially well off from following Jesus. Actually, he said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. At one point, his disciples were walking through the grain fields, picking heads of grain and rubbing them together in their hands and eating them like poor people. Mm -hmm. That was was destitute people that did that. And so they don't have any money. They've not made any money from being followers of Jesus. They don't have anything to give. And if they did, they would have given because Jesus taught giving to the poor and needy. But it's a significant thing. The church was not built with finances, not built with silver and gold. Hmm. What's the relationship between Peter's statements, what I do have, I give you, Hmm. and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk? Hmm. Yeah, I have something to give you far more valuable than silver or gold, far more valuable. Um, and that is I, I have the ability to give you healing. Now, I think it's amazing how this works. It must be a hidden kind of internal movement of the Holy Spirit uh, where they're following the Spirit's lead saying, I will heal this man. You know, uh, Jesus did not not come into the world to heal everyone of every possible malady. The answer to all of our physical maladies is the resurrection from the dead. All of the physical healings are temporary. Hmm. I mean, this this lame man eventually was made lame again by death. Uh, all all of the healings are are essentially undone by death, hmm. and so death is the last or the final enemy. It's uh, the church isn't here to drive out all sickness and pain and suffering. This was a symbolic healing. It was not, it was a literal healing, I believe in a literal miracle that was done, but it was symbolic of, of a much bigger, deeper healing that needed to happen, spiritual healing and a, and a greater healing that will come at the resurrection. And so he says, I do have something to give you. Hmm. What I do have, I give you. What do I have? I have the ability to heal you. And I think the only way that could have happened is the spirit moved in him first to let him know, yeah, we're going to do this. Mm. This uh, power is here for the healing. That idea of power is much on display in these signs that are done. Like you said at the outset, really to testify to the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus. What does this miracle teach us about the power of the name of Jesus? Yeah, I mean, what he says, what I do have, I give you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Hmm. So it's it's just amazing. First of all, Jesus is his given name. Christ is the is the title of Messiah, the son of David. Nazareth was his his hometown where he grew up. And so, you know, you definitely have that sense of the incarnation here where Jesus, the son of God, was Jesus of Nazareth. And in that specific name, there's no doubt at all who he's uh, healing him, hmm. uh, in, in whose name he's healing him. And so he, he's sticking a banner in it and wants everyone to know it is by the name of Jesus. And he's going to make this super clear in the next chapter. Hmm. When he's asked, by whose name did you do this? He's going to say, glad you asked. He didn't say that. <laughs> Let me but, tell you. Yeah, got, it's in, in the name of asking, Jesus. I've got to tell you. So he's absolutely, hmm. it's in Jesus' name. Also, it shows, I think it's the vine and the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Hmm. So Peter's nothing. Yeah. And and Paul will say this in 1 Corinthians, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So in this case, Peter and John are nothing. Jesus and his spirit and his power is everything. Why did Peter grab him and help him to his feet? And what happens when he does this? 
I don't know. I mean, it's interesting how uh, the actual mechanics of healings are different um, one after the other. It's just different every time. It's hmm. not one pattern. So with the man born blind, Jesus spit and made mud with his spittle and smeared it on the man's eyes and told him to go away and go wash the mud off. And when he did, he could see. Um, a lot of times Jesus touched people and healed them by touch. Like Peter's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever and he touched her and the fever left her. Mm. Same thing with the leper. He touched, he does a lot of healings by touch. So I wonder if that's what's going on here where he's, he's in, in the touch, the power goes from Peter um, through through the touch into the man. But also there's a practical side. He hasn't walked um in you know his whole life, yeah, um, and so it's amazing that he doesn't have to learn to walk. You can imagine, like a what is it, occupational therapist mm-hmm, or physical? It's mm-hmm. like we're we're going to be six months learning to walk, yeah. but no, it's it's instant healing here. Wow. So uh, at the same time, he's he's picking him up uh, and getting him on his his now healed legs, hmm. so he can begin to walk. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, one question that I think may arise in our listeners' minds uh, and in all of our minds when we think about the power of God to heal, um, clearly this healing was done by God's power, and God had the same power the day before the healing. Mm -hmm. Why didn't God heal the beggar sooner when he had the power to do so? And Mm -hmm. what do we learn about God's sovereignty in that? Well, I think going back to the man born blind, Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sin, but this happened so that God's glory might be revealed in him. Hmm. So the reason that this paralyzed man or crippled, not paralyzed, but crippled man wasn't healed the day before or a year before or 10 years before was so that Peter and John could heal him uh, in Jesus's name on that specific day. Everything's orchestrated by God. Now that God could heal the entire world of all of its disease and sickness in an instant is clearly true in the Bible. But we also need to realize where injury and sickness and death come from. They come from Adam's sin mm. and from the the, the the connection between Adam's sin and all of our sins and death and the process of death. And so, as we said from 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is going to be with us until the second coming of Christ. And so there's going to be injury until the second coming of Christ. And there's going to be uh, degenerative diseases until the second coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. In no way do we as Christians think that this impugns God's power to heal or that Jesus is any less capable of healing. Mm -hmm. He can heal any time. And by the way, he does heal still miraculously in answer to prayer. Uh, Christians can gather around a sickbed and lay hands on individuals and pray for them. And again and again, there are testimonies of amazing healings in answer to prayer happens today. But that's a little different than Peter and John as apostles going around in Jesus' name, healing many people. That's a healer, Mm. all right, a miraculous healer. I've heard no reputable accounts of that since the apostolic age ended. Uh, there are a lot of accounts, but I've heard no reputable accounts of of traveling healers. And so this is unique. And so, the, yes, the, the power of God was there. It's always there. And we should always trust God for a healing. If he's willing to heal, we should ask him for it. As James 5 says, is anyone sick? You should call the elders of the church to anoint him with oil and pray over him. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. Mm. So that's the best answer I can give. You're you're really asking a very deep, broad question about the problem of suffering and pain in the world. What did the beggar do after Peter raised him to his feet? And given the fact that you mentioned a moment ago that he'd never walked in his life, mm-hmm. what must he have been feeling at that moment? It's incredible. I, I don't even know how to, how to explain this. 
you know, how a man can never have walked his entire life. And then he immediately jumps up and begins leaping and dancing and jumping around. He's he he goes through all of the stages that a toddler goes through and and all that until he is an expert walker. So it just uh but it says his 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 feet and ankles instantly became strong. Wow. So he could feel in his ability, he could feel in his body, I I can walk. But he doesn't just want to walk. He wants to jump around and, and praise God. So he ends up dancing. That's so right. So awesome. The text says as much, right? That he's praising God. What can we learn from the beggar's praise and thankfulness oh. in this situation? Well, I mean, there's a lot of exuberant psalms. Uh, Wes, you know, you know them all. You know, there's there's the shout un, uh, unto the Lord and clap your hands, and there's all kinds of stuff. Mm. And some of our brothers and sisters of a different kind of pattern of worship do that every Sunday. There's, yeah. It's very physical and very excited, and that's that's awesome. Um, you know, we have a different pattern, but you know, someone in our church uh, will raise their hands. Others will get excited. But this guy, he's he's he cut he cuts loose. Yeah. I mean, he just goes crazy, and mm. he's just so filled with joy. Yeah. And so uh, I think it's amazing uh, the the level of joy. And I, I think for us, we should seek to have a similar level of joy, that we're going to express it differently, that we'd be filled with joy at the salvation that we have received from Christ. Yeah, I love that. You know, we think about worship as a response to what God has done, a, a response to who God is. And, and this man has experienced firsthand mm. the power of God in his life, and he can't help but respond with great joy and thanksgiving. Yeah. What was the effect of the beggar's loud, noticeable, you might even say unseemly display in the temple court? This was not the way people normally acted in the yeah. temple. Yeah. Well, no. And so the noise would have attracted a crowd anyway. But it's like, wow, wait a minute. That's the beggar. And look at him. He's jumping around. And and mm. they and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. That's you know openly said and, and attracts a crowd. Um, and we'll get to that, God willing, next time. But but yeah, I mean, the fact is that's the point. And we're gonna see this uh, throughout the book of Acts. A miracle is done, it attracts a crowd, yeah. and then the preaching happens. Yeah. And the real point is the preaching. So we're gonna get to that, the preaching next. But here it's it, it, I mean, the beggar is not thinking strategically, how can I attract a crowd so that the gospel can be preached? No, he's just happy. Yeah. And he's filled with joy. He's just jumping around and praising God. And, and it's reasonable to do that. We've talked about this a little bit, but the significance of people recognizing him, wh what was that? And why was it important that they sure. recognized this man? And, and maybe what final thoughts do you have sure. for us on this passage we've looked at? Well, it's part of the impact is that's part of what drew the crowd. So they walk by this guy every day. And so they recognize him. And they're able to say, you know, here's the the man that used to sit begging all the time, and now look at him, and and they can ask questions, and they want to know why, they want to know how, and so everything, the table's set for the banquet, and the banquet's going to be the preaching of the gospel that Peter and John are about to do in the rest of the chapter. Now, some time ago, I came across a powerful story uh, that just talked about materialism in the church, and uh, it goes back to the statement: uh, "Silver or golds have I none, hmm. but what I do have, I give you." In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And uh, it had to do with Thomas Aquinas, who was a scholastic theologian in the Middle Ages. Uh, and he visited the Pope. And the Pope, when he came in, was counting huge stacks of coins, gold and silver coins. And uh, Thomas just stood there quietly. Thomas Aquinas stood there. And uh, the Pope looked up and he said, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say, silver or gold have I none. Hmm. That's true, Holy Father, but neither can the church say, rise and walk. Hmm. And that was uh, just a very impactful thing, that sometimes when the church goes after worldly possessions, worldly power, uh, you know, money, all of those things, it loses spiritual power. Now, 
I don't know if the church were still every bit as dedicated to gospel ministry and giving away money to the poor and needy that God would still have had wonder-working power working in the church that we don't know. But I do know that worldliness saps power. Mm. And the real healing is not physical, but the real healing is conversion. It's people that are able to to rise and walk spiritually and follow Christ, coming to Christ and, and walking with him. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And so that gives you a sense of a journey, right? Like the two journeys ministry we have here. Mm. There's a way that leads to God, and you can be literally paralyzed and mm. be walking that way. Uh, you're walking spiritually. You're walking by faith. And so uh, the real thing is, does the church have the power to say, rise and walk spiritually? And if we go after worldly things like silver and gold, we may lose the power to win lost people for Christ. Well, this has been episode seven in our Acts Bible Study podcast. We want to invite you to join us next time for episode eight entitled Peter's Sermon in the Temple, where we'll discuss Acts chapter three, verses 11 through 26. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build his kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification, and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.